0: Holidays. right now it's 19 degrees relative humidity is standing at 81% and that's the news from our THK
1: hello this is backchat and I'm Andrew work
2: hi this is Kaha
1: on today's backchat we're talking about deep fake video scams after a multinational company here lost millions of dollars to fraudsters A clerk working for the company's Hong Kong office gave $200 million of the firm's money to scammers after being tricked into joining a video conference where all the other participants were AI-generated deepfakes.
2: A clerk was the only real person in the video chat, and while the rest of them looked and sounded like the workers' colleagues, they were in fact characters created by the scammer based on genuine online conference held in the past.
1: And after 9.45, we're going to look back on the life of Australian-born Hong Kong actor Gregory Charles Rivers, who passed away last week. We want to know what you think about deep fakes, or if you have a special memory about Gregory Charles Rivers. Do call us anytime on 233-8266 and join the conversation. Um, We have a new thing. You can also WhatsApp us on 6899-8518. One more time, that's 6899-8518. Of course, as always, you can comment on our Facebook page, and many people do. Or you can email us, Back chat. At RTHK.hk. Uh, so to get into the deep fake story and the broader implications, we're joined today by Byron Y, who is a security analyst at VX Research, uh, a Hong Kong-based cybersecurity company. Good morning, Byron. Good morning. Hey, we also have with us uh, Michael Gaisley, founder and managing director of Network Box. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Um, all right, guys, let's let's get into this. Uh, there's, there's a lot to talk about. There's the tech. There's also the business because I've got a lot of questions. This whole thing seems a little. Sketchy, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Car yeah. and I were talking about it before the show. Um, Byron, why, do, why don't you uh, kind of set it us up for us to start? Uh, tell us about w- the process. I mean, c- how much do you know about this case, and how was this guy duped? By was not really what from what I understand, it wasn't an interactive experience. It was a video of these people discussing how this guy should be authorized to send money in secret <laughs> transactions. Tell it, tell us what you know and how it would be
3: set up. Well, um, I guess um, from my understanding from this news, so they um, just make a fake video, so it's not interacting with them. So um, from my understanding, it is called um, face swapping. So how is this done? It is like um, you have an original video, and then they try to do some stuff like machine learning. Um, So in the past days, they use um, GAN. We call GAN generative um adaptive i forgot the terms i will, I will give you back later time okay um so um, once they do the um machine learning they can learn the, the different um elements on your faces so they can generate n- new videos that looks very similar to the original one okay so um after doing this they will put this video t- um, to the video conference and saying that hey i um, saying to any staffs and saying that Hey, um, we have we have some money transactions that we need you to do. So, so um, please approve this one, okay? So, um, but the victims does not know that the video is um, computer generated. So um, they will just say that, hey, if this video looks really, really um, realistic, and they will just um, buy trust base and they will just um, say that, hey, I will approve this one because I know this one very well, but they don't know that it is generated from the computer. So I believe this is the way they set up this fake video and try to do the scam.
1: Right. I'm trying to imagine what that like as somebody who has run board meetings online Mm. and tried to figure out what this would look like. Like I'm imagining maybe it was like a board meeting and this is a junior person who was listening in but didn't have a voice because apparently they weren't interacting. Uh, Michael Gaisley, what's, what's your concept of how this You know, how this would have played out or what it looked like.
4: Well, I'm with you. I mean, it sounds incredibly sketchy to me because if you read the news, which has been posted around the world, this person who completed the transaction is very called a financial worker, a clerk, and so on. And you think, hang on, an accounting clerk at a company can authorize a $200 million transaction by themselves. Yeah. Really? (laughs) I I mean, this is insane. I mean, I sit on
1: the boards, I said, you know, I'm involved in a few different NGOs and things, we want to sign a check for $10,000, we need two people's signatures on it. Yeah,
4: exactly.
1: (laughs) We're gonna believe this guy's moving hundreds of millions of dollars, I'm like, oh. So,
4: so, you know, we're we're all focusing on the tech, but we shouldn't, we should be focusing on risk management, which is why is a company allowing a clerk to move $200 million? Yeah.
2: Yeah, but also is like, um, normally, this kind of like scam is uh, what's happened Uh, through the one-on-one calls but this time is kind of like a board meeting or like a group chat so it's like the technology it is like uh, harder for us to prevent this kind of case in the future
4: yeah but this wasn't a call I mean this was the guy was showing a video and then it kind of cut off I mean that that seems to be the news right so he didn't even speak to the people and if I was asked to sign a $200 million authorization um, on my own, I would certainly ring up and double check with everybody. I mean, this, this is, there's something really wrong here.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, is there a culture thing? I mean, we, we haven't gotten the name of the company yet uh, in the public domain, but I mean, they, they just keep saying it was a Chinese financial company, and I mean, uh I've seen the inside of some of these companies and the bosses can be very tyrannical. And, you know, Mm -hmm. whenever the boss says you do something, you just uh, you you don't even ask any questions. If you're if you're a 20 something, you're just like, yes, boss,
2: please don't (laughs) fire me right this second. And I'm going to transfer the money immediately.
1: You just do it blindly. I mean, could there be a culture thing at play here that, you know, because.
4: I still don't believe that a clerk has authorization for 200 million dollars. I mean, it's just I've never heard of such a thing. Yeah. Mm.
1: But Byron, Byron, when you're looking at cybersecurity, I mean, I you know, we hear constantly that the biggest problem with cybersecurity isn't the hardware. It's the wetware. It's the people. Do you, do you think it's the people problem here? Or do you think it's a technology issue?
3: Oh, yes. I believe that um, human is the uh, most having the most chance to make mistakes. So um, most of the time when we do the cybersecurity protections, we aim at um, how to um, do it in a technical way. So that to prevent any human errors when we apply the kind of policies or other kind of measurements, um for example, um, um, instead of just doing some awareness training, we may help um, our clients to install an antivirus or some kind of blue team protection just to prevent that hey, if human makes mistakes, at least we have an another counterme to prevent um humans like hey. If you are doing the bank system, right, so if you accidentally input one more zeros in the transactions, your system will be in trouble, right? Mm. So this is why we say that human will be the, um, having the most chance um, having an error. So we have to um, implement other stuff just to prevent human errors.
1: Yeah, the, the humans are always the weak spot, which doesn't uh, bode well for our forthcoming war against Skynet and the and the machines. Um, <laughs> if we're the if we're the weak link in the chain, um, how expensive is it to put together something like this now? Like if I, I mean, okay, if I'm doing uh, you know naked Taylor Swift videos, there's lots of Taylor Swift online for me to to put into a uh, to put into an AI system to generate some output. But if I'm going after private individuals who maybe have a LinkedIn page, maybe a couple of YouTubes where they spoke at a conference or something, um, I mean, how expensive or difficult would it be to put together a, a you know, a, let's say 10, 15 minute Zoom call with four or five people faked? I mean, you're not gonna do that to scam somebody out of 50 bucks. It seems like that would take some time and effort and computing power, but how much would it cost in terms of time and effort?
3: Um. Let me put it this way. So, um, in general, we have, we now have two different systems or two different technologies, um, to do the, um, face swapping or what we say deep fake just in the news piece. So, um, the first one is we call just a minute. Let me get the, get the key terms back. Um, the first one is what I mentioned generative and adversarial network. So it is a very, very old technology, which appears um, in two to three years ago. Okay, so um, for this kind of uh, machine learning, <laughs> yeah. it really, really takes um, very cheap, even mm. if your phone can do it. Okay, so sometimes if hey, you see the TikTok videos, oh,
5: yeah. do the
3: face swapping. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You see it in, um, you can play it on your phone. So right. it takes really, really cheap cost. Like, um, I guess if you run it on computers, it may, it may cost less than $100, and you can do it um, like in a few minutes. For this old technology, okay, but sometimes, yeah, but sometimes we say that phishing or doing this kind of scam, you don't have to be very realistic. As long as you can have the victim and they believe your video, and you you get the um, you can do the scam successfully. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have um, other than the Diffic and the GAN, there is a new technology we call Stable Diffusion. So Stable Diffusion is very Hot these days, um, especially after the um, COVID 19. So, um, they are doing this kind of very realistic um, AI generation. So, you can see that there are many art pieces in the world now. So, they are mostly generated um, with this um, stable diffusion system. Okay, so if you are doing a very realistic way, it will cost less than um, around or around 1,000 Hong Kong dollars. And it takes um, you need to buy some hardware, um, like your GPU, which is um, a display card in your computer. Mm. And you take some time to run, run the server, uh, No, and to, run, to generate the image. So if you borrow the computers on the web, like the cloud computing, it will take um, less than $2,000 and maybe less than one day to do the video.
1: Mm. yeah starts to as sound like, you, yeah 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 it yeah. <laughs> starts to sound like something my daughter could have learned in high school uh <laughs> yeah Car- so, so yes,
3: just like exactly, that. exactly.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah if the if the money wise is like investing this little, so do you expect or do you think in the future there will be more cases just like this um appear in the Hong Kong or in the world
3: yes, I believe so. Because um, before I, I joined the conference, uh, joined this call, I have to do some research in the web. So I found that, hey, um, in many other places in the world, like in China or in um, Europe, there are already many cases that they do deep um, and try to find the victims. So, um, so you see that this um, face swapping has um, become really, really easy. And even your phone can do this kind of stuff. So I will be there and more scams will appear and they will look more and more realistic.
1: Mm. Um, just a reminder to our listeners that they can call in at two three three eight eight two six six if they have any questions for us or, for our, or more properly for our guests, of course, the experts on the matter. Um, uh, Michael Gaisley. As we move into this future of, of deep fakes, I know that, uh, so for example, my daughter's at university, became standard practice a few years ago that everybody had to submit their essays online, and they are run through a plagiarism mm. identifier, right? And now she also has to submit them, and it goes through an AI detector oh. as well. Yeah, that's standard operating procedure now is that you mm. have to, you know, and typically what students will do is they'll, they'll take their essay Test it first, and the, yeah. it'll come back and say, "Oh, uh, your paper looks like it's roughly twenty percent written by AI, yeah. or thirty-two percent, or whatever." And if it's more than twenty percent, then you you have to go back and rework it and resubmit it. So they're already detecting for the written word in AI. Um, is there a future when your standard browser, Edge? Well, I mean that's not very standard, but Chrome, uh, Firefox, you know, Safari, whatever. Where it is built in that will detect deep fakes, Like if a deepfake video comes on, a little light will pop up on your, on your browser to say, by the way, deepfake, I mean, will that become a standard operating procedure in terms of how we interact with the internet, Michael?
4: Yeah, I think a bit like antivirus, um, this will become standard. But then just like antivirus, it's going to be largely a race between whether you can update, you know, the, the good guys can update first or whether the bad guys can sort of circumvent that protection first. And there, there are then systems like zero trust, and you, you could create secure, authenticated connections between two points and make sure you're not talking to a stranger and so on. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the technology will accelerate and improve both for the good and the bad guys. But I think at the moment, really common sense. I mean, first of all, this particular clerk, um, they, they received an email, which they thought was dodgy. They didn't check at that time that, mm. that this, was, this was fake. They said after the event they felt it was fake, but they didn't bother checking. They then had this video played to them, and they, they thought that was dodgy, and they didn't check at that point. And then only after the money was transferred to 15 different places, which is also very, very sketchy, they then apparently afterwards decided to check. I mean, wouldn't you check before? <laughs> I'd
1: be, be checking that guy's bank accounts. I
4: mean,
2: yeah, how could he not get on it?
4: Yeah, it makes no <laughs> sense. Yeah.
2: Is it is it actually very uh, easy? Is it, is it easy for the uh, people recognize if it is a deep fake video or or it is the real video?
4: Well, or- I, I wouldn't care because once again you're focusing on the tech, and I've spent my whole life in tech. This is a case of common sense. Where before you transfer a huge amount of money to 15 strange bank accounts, I think I would call up the, the boss on his known number and speak to him and possibly a couple of other people and then have them well involved in the transfer because for a guy to sit at his desk and just transfer a huge amount of money like this without actually confirming anything just seems crazy to me
1: yeah I mean, yeah, there's I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm guessing that, you know, now more and more people are going to start to have that thinking. And I'm sure it's hopefully it's occurred to the police by this point, yeah. you know, that they should be looking to some of these. Uh, but for people that are, you know, so let, let's go to the broader issue of deep fakes. Uh, you know, there's a Taylor Swift thing going around recently uh, and particularly poor taste. But, you know. Am I going to be? How? How are people fooling themselves and thinking that they're pretty good at detecting these things at this point? No,
4: it's going to become impossible to detect these things. So you're really going to have to operate on a level of uh, common sense and double checking rather than believing your eyes and ears in that moment. Right. I mean, so I would like to think that I can pick
1: these things out. I know. I know with text, I can. I can still do it because when you know something comes across your desk and it's been written by AI, you can tell right away. Yeah, you can tell right now. But in another
4: year or two, who knows?
1: Yeah, and I mean, is this are we are we fooling ourselves? Like, am I? Is it because when I see bad AI, I think, oh, I can always see it, but yep. when I see good AI, I'm not recognizing it, but I think I can. I mean, are people fooling themselves into thinking?
4: They yeah, it's can a bit like it? you watch um, YouTube videos where people are talking about, say, fake Rolex watches, and you know, a guy's comparing a real one with a fake one, and I, I always think to myself, well, yeah, you're comparing it with that fake one. But what about you know a better one, a, a future one? They're just getting better and better in physical goods, videos, voice. I mean, you, you can get a call where you know uh, your, your son or daughter is supposedly kidnapped or injured or something, and you need to transfer money, and that's deepfake just on voice, mm-hmm. and that's also becoming a real problem.
1: Mm-hmm. So I mean, are we going to have to start every phone call with, uh, hey baby, you know what what pet, <laughs> what pet name did I use in bed last night just to make sure it's really you? I mean. How, how far away are we from that?
4: Not far. In how? fact, we may already be there now. So,
1: Byron, you're, you're advising companies on uh, how to. You know, you're a cybersecurity company. How, are you advi- like are companies taking this seriously? And if so, what you, what are you telling them that they can or cannot do?
3: Um, <laughs> um, um, let me put it this way. So, I guess um, from from my point of view, I think um, human eyes is uh, more. Um, you can trust your eyes by the time. Okay. So um, to distinguish the fake videos or the, um, the real videos. So um, nowadays they use defic um, the or a stable diffusion. Um, they are not doing that um, good in general. But um, if, you, if you say that, hey, can I have some models or some websites to help to detect this kind of fake videos? I would say, um, yes, they have, but it's not that accurate. So I would just say, hey, believe your common sense and believe your eyes. It is much better than the AI model these days. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. We've, got a, we've got a caller
1: on the line. Richie uh, would like to put a question to our guest. Uh, Richie, good morning. Good morning
6: and hi, Brian. Hi, hello. <laughs> I guess yeah. it, maybe uh, you know Byron, Rick,
1: Richie, what do you got for us? What's your, what's your question or point you'd like to make?
6: Oh, actually I'm here to add a few points about the defensive side for defect technology because that's my research. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're a researcher? Okay. Yeah. And, right now, uh, I think Brian has told you about the two methods, and one of the methods is the older method that people use for deepfake, and the newer method that was about stable diffusion, right? Mm-hmm. hmm Yes. Yeah. So, uh, the older method that was based on GAN, the model can actually be detected by ECD with uh, auto-detecting method from other companies but only you can just Google defect preventing and you will see many plugins for your browser and those basically detect all those older methods. And uh, for the newer method, however, it was based on diffusion process. Mm-hmm. And diffusion process is a, I can say, uh, upgrade for the GAN. So you have a much, much easier method to use it. And you have also a much, much harder time to prevent it because how it actually works under the hoodie. And what I want to say is there is a few companies that are trying to make a method to auto-detect the diffusion process, but most of them actually fail, and some of them give false positive sometimes. And I don't think that would be easy to change amongst the next few years until they come up with a new architecture. So, um, if we talk about the protective side, then I think the easiest method is really just use the older, uh, older defect detector that detect the older method. And for the newer method, there is a weakness over the diffusion process. Like, if you put your hand, so you tell the, uh, you tell the people on the other line to just put their hand on their face. Mm. If it is a real (coughs) depression process in real time, then uh, you tell them to move the hand from the head to the chin and you will see the flickering on the face. Mm. And that's how you can just tell if they are generated or not. Ah. And Also, there's another method that you can just tell the person who are right now calling you with a video call and just tell them to stand up and walk outside to the camera and walk back <laughs> in and then just have a jump. And if none of those have any flickering, then it's most likely real person because uh, there's only a few group that is able to do all those type of generation without any flickering. And I believe none of those groups are threat groups. so
1: that's basically the situation right now for the protective side. All right. So if I can, thank you very much. So Richie, if I can summarize, there are plugins that you can get now, and they will detect the old style of AI, deepfake, but not the new ones. So what you got to do is ask people to wave a hand in their face or, you know, get up, get up, and jump around. And then if there's flickering, then you might have a problem, and that will detect most, but not the very latest high end. Yeah, but it'll cover right. most. Is that, have I got that right, Richie? Yeah,
6: and also for the... Diff- oh, more. For the okay. Synchron. Yeah. So uh, when they make a video, one giveaway is about the visual size. Mm-hmm. So you can just see the visually flickering and maybe some pixels just jamming into each other. Yeah. And the other issue about a video call is the audio, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they are calling you and they use a voice that you think is someone, but it's actually not. So one... What- does they actually train with that thing? It's a framework that got blown up from last year. It is open source and you can search it online and -hmm. you can find a lot of resource to actually teach you how to use it. And how people actually gather the information for training such a AID AID voice column is that, Let's say uh, if someone that is calling you has talked in public before for like ten minutes, mm-hmm. then you can just take those ten minutes of the frame of the speech, and you can just take those data and you just put into a AI model trainer, and you just train the AI voice clone model. Yeah. and you can just tune the parameter to sound like that person. Right. And for this one, there is a method to prevent it, but I don't think there is any product that actually makes it easy for now. Uh, to, method,
1: to auto-detect uh, in real time.
6: It uh, can be detected in real time. Right. But uh, I don't think any companies actually made co- have made a working product that utilize this tech
3: mm-hmm. because
6: um, I don't think many people actually realize this should be prevented. And not many people know about
1: this tech, so yeah. So this is new. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you put it on our radar today. Thank thank you for calling, Richie. But we're heading up to the uh, the news at the half hour. But we appreciate you calling today. Just a reminder to everybody, you can call us at two three three eight eight two six six. Michael Gasley, we got thirty seconds. Uh, yay or nay? I, I mean, are you are you on board with these these methodologies? Uh, Richie, the researcher, has described
4: Very interesting technologies. But once again, I would pick up an old fashioned landline. And call the two or three senior people involved on the phone mm-hmm. and make uh, using numbers that are not given to me in the phishing email right <laughs> yeah. I mean you'd call them on the direct lines that you know or, you know you know within your company and and ask them i mean yeah. you know it 's nonsense to be worried about technologies and browsers and so on. Call the guy, yeah. Get old fashioned. Yeah,
1: thank you. Exactly. That's, that's Michael Gaisley, uh, founder and managing director of Network Box, who's going to be continuing with us after the break of the news. As is Byron Y, who's a uh, security analyst at VXR, VX Research Limited. Uh, quick look at what's happening on the weather before we break. We're going to come back with more on this topic on back chat. Mainly cloudy with one or two light rain patches today. Slightly cooler in the morning and at night. Maximum temperature today of around twenty degrees. We're almost there, not quite, right now at Backchat. We are at 19 degrees Celsius and 80% humidity. I'm Andrew Work here with Cara Ha. And now the news with Haley Yip.
0: A lawmaker says Tatler Asia's withdrawal of their application for a $16 million grant from the government is reasonable. But the organization could do more for angry football fans by offering a partial refund. Johnny M, who's a member of the Ledgeco panel on home affairs, culture and sports, made the comment after Argentina football star Lionel Messi sat out Sunday's exhibition match between Inter Miami and Hong Kong. A 34-year-old man has died after allegedly being hit by an aircraft on a taxiway at Hong Kong Airport. The police received a report from airport staff at around 3 in the morning that an aircraft towing operator allegedly fell off the back seat of a tow truck and was hit by the aircraft. And Buckingham Palace has announced that King Charles is being treated for cancer. He will continue with state duties, but will step back from public engagements during his treatment. In a statement, the palace said the king, who is 75, remained wholly positive about his treatment and looked forward to returning to full public duty as soon as possible. I'll have more news for you at 10 o'clock.
5: To prevent pneumonia and respiratory tract infection, avoid traveling to places with pneumonia outbreaks. If you must go to these places, don't touch animals or eat game meat. Avoid visiting wet markets, live poultry markets or farms. After returning to Hong Kong, if you have a fever or other symptoms, wear a surgical mask, consult a doctor promptly and reveal your recent travel history. Always maintain personal hygiene and keep both hands clean. For details, visit chp.gov.hk. This year, the International Chinese New Year Night Parade is back. Marvel at rows of breathtaking floats and enjoy performances by local and international groups. Come join the festivities at 8 p.m. on February 10th in Chimsa Chui. And let's celebrate the Year of the Dragon together. Please maintain order and use public transport.
1: And we're back on Back Chat. It's Andrew, Work, and Carha. And Car, uh, I'm glad to hear the uh, Chinese New Year parade is back.
2: You were dancing.
1: No, I have not been dancing. <laughs> but Google Photos brings up these like memory things. They're like, oh, here's where you were, you know, yeah. 12 years ago. And one of them was when my oh. my daughter was in the parade with the Jean M Wong School of Ballet, wearing these like ridiculous outfits. And I made sure to embarrass her once again. <laughs>
2: This is what the desk <laughs> no when
1: she was eight years old in the Chinese New Year Parade. So always good times in Hong Kong. Uh, but we are hopefully we're going to get the real deal for the Chinese New Year Parade, not a deep fake that Hong Kong can broadcast <laughs> in the world. I'm sure it'll be a real one. Uh, and When you go there, you might see Byron Y., security analyst with VX Research, who's on the line with us right now, as is Michael Gaisley, founder and managing director of Network Box. We're also joined by Johnny Ong, who is a uh, Let's Go Lawmaker with some Technology chops of his own. Good morning, Johnny. Welcome to the show. Good morning, everyone. Johnny, uh, we've been talking about uh, the tech side. We've been talking about the uh, the wetware, the human side. Uh, but, uh, you know, some people are going to be interested in the regulatory side of it. New York Times had a big piece on regulation of the Internet uh, this past week. Uh, but, I mean, how much can legislators do in the case of, you know, crime over the Internet? We know that people are getting ripped off by Nigerian scams, you know, Hong Kong police are not going to send a you know, squad to go to Nigeria and bust some guy—that's not going to happen. Uh, so, so what can be done in terms of legislation to try and mitigate the effects, not eliminate this, because I don't think that's possible, but uh, uh, mitigate the effects.
7: Well, um, AI is actually developing very, very fast. We can see the generative AI, also deepfake technology is very mature and right now. We can really can do a lot of things using deepfake uh, to to treat everyone's actually, including your relatives. Uh, while AI development is the the origin or is to help people to streamline operations to uh, take more benefits to the human beings, but however, some um, scammers uh, will do it in some illegal ways, like the uh, treat other people's like uh, the the scam of, of 200 million Hong Kong dollars, a big uh, financial loss. While I think uh, around the world there's a lot of uh, different governments that are talking about using regulations, uh, legislative to restrict the use of AI. I think all the principle is one, the use of AI is a transparent, traceable, and non-discriminatory and environmental friendly, something like that. But how can uh, we have the best... Uh, regime models to restrict the use of AI is uh, very controversial in different, uh, different parts of the world. Uh, in Hong Kong, actually, we are in the National last, 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 last councils. We are not yet to discuss about this topic, but I think uh, we will soon we'll need to put it on the table to discuss which kinds of model we need to operate. Uh, we can see the first uh, Uh, AIX is actually launched in European Union. They're using the different models to restrict uh, different risk, different models to restrict it. differentially four levels uh, then need an acceptable risk, high risk, and also uh, general purpose and also the low risk to different different way to restrict different usage of the AI. I think um, this kind of uh, things in Hong Kong, we need to have more discussions with the government and also the public, particularly in the technology side, because our government uh, is pushing AI as our core industry in the, in the near future, so we need to discuss about it
1: more and more. Yeah, car.
2: Yeah, do you think uh, the government should uh, work closer with the banks to avoid this kind of like like big transition uh, thing is uh, going on in the future?
7: Yeah, sure. Bec- uh, government actually, uh, particularly police department actually have uh, police force have a uh, close uh, connection with the financial institutes like bank. Mm. Once the scammer account uh, they encounter. Uh, the transfer like FPS, FPS will automatically have an alarm then stop the transfer of money. Um, but you know, um, the scammers is using the very uh, new way and high technologies uh, methods to cheat the people. Uh, always, uh, technolo- uh, always the regulations are uh, left behind the technologies. So we, we need to do more. Yeah, more and
1: more. I mean, it, it's quite easy to say that, isn't it? But I mean, let's i mean, let's face it, who, who actually has the capacity to deal with these types of things? So if you're talking about, say, uh, email scams, uh, right, people are getting spam, who has the best capacity to deal with that? Google. Google is going to set up a massive, you know, they'll put thousands of people on the job to prevent email scam. And guess what? They have the best spam blocker,
0: mm-hmm. and so
1: everybody ends up using Gmail. If you're banks, if you're a big bank, you've got lots of people to throw with these kinds of problems. Small banks, Not so much. I mean, um, Michael, Byron, are are you seeing that big companies are benefiting from the proliferation of this because they're the only ones that have the capacity to really deal with it en masse?
4: Well, actually, what I find um, is just staggering to me is that the vast, vast, vast majority of scams, hacks, uh, ransomware infections and so on happening in Hong Kong are because the organizations just have not got the equipment the software, the services, the people in place to prevent it. And law firms are some of the worst, actually. I mean, most of them have pretty much no security at all. And yet, to secure the law firm would cost the price of one lawyer's one hour's engagement. That's it. And yet, they don't do it. They say, oh, it's too expensive, and so on and so forth. And, you know, so the vast majority of cyber attacks are not due to some amazing technology or brilliant scamming, it's it's usually due to just something being wide open and the bad guy walking in.
1: So so, uh, law firms in Hong Kong are famously technophobic, uh, technically behind, I mean, I've I've seen so many instances of that, but what about our banks?
4: Well, Uh, I I think that uh, pretty much all the institutions that are not forced by law to protect themselves pretty much don't, And, and I find that stunning. But Lawyers in particular amaze me, just because it would cost so little, and the information that they carry is so important. Mm-hmm. But same with doctors, dentists, um, you know, architects, accountants, um, there's so many professionals that are just asleep at the wheel. So it's not just humans in terms of the end user who's making a mistake, it's also the management who are not protecting themselves. Byron, why? Well,
1: yeah. Is it? Is it cheaper, yeah. is it cheaper to just pay out when you have a mistake or you get hacked? Some someone of your clients gets hacked for, you know, $100,000, a million dollars. Is it cheaper to pay them than it is to build a defensible art, computer
3: architecture? Um, <clears throat> I would say in this way. Um, if you can have measurements to um, stop the scam at the very beginning, then it is much cheaper than to pay, the um, like if you have a ransom, so it is cheaper than to pay the ransom. Or um, to do some backup measurements. So I would say that if you put your budget on the very um, first place to prevent this kind of scams, so your um, company will be uh, be secured. Okay, so I have some points to add um, for the bank sector. So um, why we have some, this kind of um, scams or phishing for the bank sector recently. Um, The bank sector, they they will put um, stability at the first place. So sometimes their IT system may not be as updated as we think. Okay, Um, for example, their mail system they may have their proprietary mail system. They are not using um, Google or um, Outlook. So even Google have a very very good um, anti-scam mechanism, the bank sectors may not um, have um, get any advantage from them. So that's why um, sometimes they may have this kind of phishing emails, many many um, many many phishing emails. And they may be scammed. I will put it in this way. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, real story. Uh, my passport, uh, laptop, buy pile ID, everything got stolen in, in Rotterdam. Uh, within within an hour of it being stolen, uh, they were trying to use my credit cards at mm. grocery stores. They managed to get you know they managed to make about two hundred and fifty Hong Kong dollars worth of purchases oh, wow. before I turned it off. I guarantee you, the bank spent a lot more than two hundred and fifty dollars. You know, researching, they're like, Oh, we're gonna get back to you, we're investigating. It took them about three months before oh. they finally they gave me the money back after about three weeks. But they kept telling me they were investigating and I had to send them some stuff and I mean they definitely spent more than two hundred and fifty Hong Kong dollars worth to investigate and then come back and, and basically, you know, reverse that. Um of course if they didn't do that, then people would be doing it all the time and claiming they got their, their cards ripped off. But I mean, yeah. Hey, I think mean, it just seems like they spend so much money on bureaucracy, bureaucracy and it sounds like they could be spending it on tech, but they don't do it unless lawmakers make them. Michael, that's pretty much your your supposition. Um, yeah. Why is the message not getting through to the sea level that they should just spend the money on the technology?
4: I, I really don't know. And to put it in perspective, a small FME in Hong Kong of a, a you know, few tens of people. To properly protect yourself would be a couple of thousand hong kong dollars a month and a a larger organization of 100 200 people maybe six or seven thousand hong kong dollars a month and that's to do everything and yet most organizations just not willing to do that and then they get hit with multi-million dollar um you know attacks or, or their entire organization going down it makes no sense to me.
1: But is it because the IT guys seem to be coming up with, you know, unlimited requests for money to put in the latest uh, whiz-bang? And then they're like, wait a second, you just told us that, you know, the last thing we did was what we needed to protect ourselves. Now you're telling us we need another, you know, $50 million to protect us again. Now we're not sufficiently protected. Well, And, and then again and again, every six months, they're like.
4: Yeah, but I, I repeat, it's a few thousand Hong Kong dollars a month to protect a, a fairly large company in Hong Kong you know there's not that many companies in Hong Kong with hundreds of stuff so it, it really isn't expensive it just isn't being done
1: right so I guess we're different when we're talking about an HSBC versus a yeah, hundred person you yeah. know mid-level company uh, I've got an email here from Ilner a regular writer to the show Uh, He says, this incident raises important questions about the rapid advancement of deepfake technology and the the necessity for effective detective methods. As this technology evolves, it becomes increasingly challenging to identify these deceptive videos. It is crucial for individuals and organizations to remain vigilant and develop strategies to detect and prevent deepfake scams. Uh, He firmly believes that there is an urgent requirement for stricter regulation of deepfakes. The potential for significant harm and financial loss, as evidenced by this unfortunate incident, cannot be overlooked. Um, Johnny Ung... Do we need different regulation for use of deepfakes? I mean, right now there's regulation against fraud and penalties and criminal penalties. Do we need a different kind of legislation for deepfakes? Or do we, can we apply current legislation?
7: I think uh, for regulations, we uh, have the new regulations for uh, regulate uh, fake, uh, Like we need to have a traceable and also the uh, manufacturer uh, responsibility of the Technology uh, solution provider, uh, but I think uh, fundamentally the, the, the education of the general public, how to differentiate different uh, is more important than the regulations uh, while you know uh, technology can be changed uh, very fast every day, but uh, education has to be follow up to net general topics to know how to uh, make defense because you know most of the African has cannot respond to you uh, uh, very smoothly. So we can use some uh, technique to differentiate. Uh, once you using a video conference with others like your relatives or mother of others, you can differentiate by using some small technique. But you have to learn about it. So I think um, we we uh, together the less counselors and also the governments. to do more public educations yeah
2: so it's like uh the communication with different parties like doing the video call or like one-on-one call group call that is important so i actually also want to ask like brian about uh so if the people really using the deep fake technology uh, in the video is it the resolution like resolution of the uh, video call or the pictures is like different from the general uh, uh
3: quality um that's a very good point okay i will, i always this way hey um because the um your video conference they usually it is very um, low resolution right so okay. it is pixelated so um it is much easier for the attackers to generate this kind of low resolution images in a very quick time in a very real uh, real time even in real time okay. mm. um so um so it's for um, normal humans, um, to distinguish the um, music or the original video with this low resolution, it will be really, really hard. So I will put it in this way. It is really, really hard. So yes. even if your um, video conference or the images is high resolution, um, you may be able to spot out the, some difference. But hey, if you look at it at the first time or at a have, just a have a glance, you may not be um, able to distinguish it. Hmm. So um, I will put it this way: um, If you want to make some decisions before you um, look at a con- video conference, so you um, just like Michael has mentioned, so um, you have to double check. Like um, if um, in our uh, security, cyber security world, we have a term called um, defense in depth, which means you can't ch- only have one defense mechanism; you have more than that. Okay, um, let me put it this way: For example, if we have some um, AI models help to detect this defect, but in the management level, like you have to have some role separation, like the one who approved for the money and the, who, the one who applied for the change. So they have to be different persons. Mm. Okay? So by, this, by doing so, you can't just have one staff to make all decisions. It is very dangerous. Yeah. You must separate all the roles.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the procedures are like, I mean, if if people could propagate something, then a deep fake can propagate something, which is why you need other methods to protect yourselves, which brings us right back to the beginning of our conversation about deep fakes today. I like a circle that closes neatly, and we have done so on Backchat. Thank you very much to Byron Y. He's the senior researcher at VX Research Limited. Thanks to Johnny Ung, who's a lawmaker uh, here in Hong Kong, and Michael Gaisley, the founder and managing director of Network Box. Thank you all for enlightening us on this issue today. Reminder to our listeners, you can send us a message by WhatsApp at 6899-8518. This is BackChat.
0: You're listening to BackChat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. All
1: right, Back Chat. Uh, we're going to take a little time out on Back Chat today to speak to uh, a couple of people who knew Gregory Charles Rivers, uh, bit of a bit of a local uh, icon in media who passed away Last week, uh, we've got Mike Leader, who's a Hong Kong-based casting director, producer, and actor, who previously worked with Gregory and uh, Sally Anderson, founder of Hong Kong Dog Rescue, an organization which Gregory supported for many years. And I guess the two of them show different sides of his character. Uh, Mike, you work you work in showbiz here in Hong Kong. Tell us a little bit about Gregory Charles Rivers, because I think a lot of the uh, maybe English language only speaking population, might not be as familiar with them as a lot of local people do. Because, yeah, because yeah, Car, Car Ha was telling me about some of her memories. Well, actually, Car, why don't you give us a memory of like growing up with Gregory and then Michael can tell us a bit.
2: When I was a kid, let me tell a story. It's like when I was a kid, I always like watch TV and he, because he is a Westerner, but speaking in very fluent Cantonese. Mm. So that makes me like feeling like, wow, so impressive. A Westerner can speak in Cantonese. This is like... Amazing when I was a child, that yeah. age. So, uh, yeah, this is the impression like of me.
1: Yeah, really, yeah. really amazed you and became a part of your, your childhood. Mike, uh, can you tell us a little bit about his, his role in Hong Kong? Mike Leader. Hello, Mike. Have we got you on? I'm here. Okay, great, Hi. Michael. Tell it, Tell us a little bit about uh, Gregory Charles Rivers. At, you know, in his role in Hong Kong and what he
8: meant to the people. Um, I think one of the things was greg was one of the first westerners working in film and tv here who got a chance to really play characters um a lot of the time we are western western actors here are hired as the drug dealer the bad guy the policeman but through through tvb etc greg got the chance to actually show a variety of characters you know often he would play the policeman but he got to play the good guy. He got to play the, the 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 Western businessman who spoke Cantonese. And because it's TV, it was in your home. It was on. It wasn't just one episode. One episode. It was yeah, a forty episode run, etc. And yeah, I mean, he, he his Cantonese was incredible. Hmm. Um, I've been. I, I came here. I think he arrived in 1988. I arrived 1990, and my Cantonese is still a fraction of of his yeah you
1: know. i mean beyond beyond language i mean which might have qualified him to be a hong kong policeman i mean uh, being an actor is uh, is is a very different profession there's certain something that comes with that can you talk a little bit about his uh, you know what, what kind of presence he was able to bring through the camera
8: yeah i mean the funny thing is i mean he was originally a medical student i remember talking to him about it and um just some of his classmates were from hong kong so they would play you, uh, you know, canter pop tapes, and he started getting into, like Alan Tam, Leslie Jung, et etc., and then into the Hong Kong culture, and that was thing. He originally wanted to to come here and try and be a singer, um, but I think he did, and he had a concert, yeah, didn't he? He had a he had a he hosted a concert, yeah, um, and people went. He, and, he did and, couple, he, he did a couple of concerts, and there was um, it was quite funny. He did a song about the rival TV network ATV, which was pretty funny um, (laughs) when that was going down. And um, I think it was just, you know, it it can be frustrating as a a Western actor here that sometimes there is almost like a limitation on the roles that get offered to us. Mm -hmm. So it was always nice when you would see, you know, Greg being given a chance to play a positive character. And I think also he had a very his pers- uh, his persona came across in his characters you often you know he 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 came across very likable in real life and it, and that was mirrored in his performances mm-hmm. and i think the fact that he was so how to say it, it wasn't just for the acting said he was you know he could sing he was very into the culture he was very into the community and that, i think that was re- that really showed people that he was very much a Hong Konger and the funny thing is as you, as you said like when I first arrived I was amazed at how little coverage or interaction there is sometimes between like the western media in Hong Kong and the Chinese media and you know I always did used to think it was funny that you know you could have you know Greg bump into 20 people and the Chinese, you know, anyone who was Chinese immediately recognized him, you know, but you could have been, you could have him with 10 Westerners who grew up, grown up in Hong Kong and they wouldn't know him from, from Adam. So as I said, I think it's, it's a pity because he was a really good, he was a really good guy. And I think it's just, it, it's, yeah, you know, depression is, is such a, such an issue and it's just, it's, it's, it's just hard sometimes, you know, mm.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, and for listeners who might not know the full story, uh, he, he passed away from suicide uh, last week and apparently it had some, some issues with depression. Uh, his wife had passed away recently. I mean, in the last few years. Um, you know, with him and his wife, I know one of the things that did bring them joy were, were, their, uh, were pets, were dogs that they took on a lot of them. Sally Anderson is the founder of Hong Kong Dog Rescue. Can you say, uh, give us a little bit of insight as to, you know, for somebody like Greg, what role that having dogs in his life might have played?
9: Um, um, I think it was really important to him because they didn't have, he and his wife didn't have children and they said their dogs were their children. And he was, he was so incredibly kind to, uh, in his support for Hong Kong Dog Rescue, um, making videos and coming to our big events, our Peak to Fong events. And as everyone says, he was, he was just an incredibly uh, lovely man um you know everything that he did he he just tried to do what he could given his, you know the time constraints and everything but he was he was just very generous with his time and his obvious love for the dogs um and he promoted of course the you know the the tong gao, the mixed breed the local local dogs um and that was his big passion so it was in, really very sad to to hear you know of his death and, and especially the way that it happened,
1: did you use his celebrity for uh, to kind of support the work of the Hong Kong dog rescue and outreach into the local community uh,
9: well yeah of course i mean that that's that's one of the things is, is he was so uh, well known and loved um in the local community um so it you know his his videos and just you know the him coming to our events and everything was was um very good p r for us and for the dogs, so that that was important um and i think that the the response to his death was was incredible um it's 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 so sad to see you know somebody dying and then afterwards the outpouring of love for that person um especially given the circumstances
1: did he have dogs in his life at the end
9: oh yes 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 he did he huh. it just always local tongao um dogs yeah. and uh, you know he that that was his passion too you know just trying to promote the the local dogs as opposed to all of the breeds did
1: he have dogs at home when he when he passed away like I mean what I'm looking for here is oh, is, is, oh, no, is there a no, sign he didn't, he didn't. No, he, yeah his
9: his dogs had already died of old age and and I think <clears> that was you know part of everything his wife had died his dogs had died and and I'm sure that contributed to um his, his you know his state of mind when he when he decided to Go as well,
1: hmm. uh, Mike. I mean, it, it was was Gregory still active in the media community in the in the last few years? I mean, was he still out there acting and, and doing jobs? Did you see him out and about, or was he had he largely retired and, and pulled back from that world?
8: Um, um, what, no, he'd actually.
9: Sorry, I was going to say, uh, if you look on his Facebook page, he 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 was, uh, yeah, very very much still active in in everything, really.
1: Yeah. Okay. My, my yeah, history. I mean,
8: he was he was meant to be going to be in the. There's a there was a really successful TV series a couple of years ago, uh, OCTB, uh, the Organized Crime and Tribe Bureau. They were doing season two. They're starting, I think, in April, and he was meant to be coming back for that. Um, and he'd just done a movie called Everything Under Control, so it, he was very active, and I think. As we said, it was that's one. Of, I think in some ways that's one of the reasons it's it's kind of hit a lot of people as a big surprise because everyone was still seeing him. He was you know he was still very active. With, you know you'd see him at castings, you'd see him at TVB, etc. So yeah, it, it's it's it it doesn't really feel real. Like a a lot of the Western actors in Hong Kong, we've all discussed it. We're all like, you know, because he, yeah, we all knew him, we'd all run into each other at you know, castings and on, on set, and it's just, you know, it's, 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 I think that was the problem. There was a combination of loss, and just, mm. yeah, it, it's, it's a hard thing, yeah.
2: So, um, yeah, he is such a lovely guy to, uh, the TV industry and also for the Hong Kong Dog Rescue, like organization as well. So, um, what do you think about? Uh, in the future we can take care of like some mental health issue do you have words to our audience to like caring more uh, on this issue because in Hong Kong it's still a very not very uh, common topic for the uh, citizens
1: actually we might have to leave that for a a bigger topic for another time because yeah. we are we are going to be wrapping up here we've got about 30 seconds left uh is there any going to be any kind of a memorial that we can direct people to is is Mike's Facebook page still active can people oh sorry gregory's uh Facebook page still
8: active
9: or someone it, yes, yeah. uh, yeah. it, it is active
8: okay great yeah. so maybe maybe yeah, people can look there yeah, Mike. I think his management at TVB are trying to sort out everything and we will do an announcement if there's going to be a memorial service, etc.
1: All right. Well, maybe people can look to that and celebrate uh, the life and times uh, of Gregory. And uh, thank you very much for joining us on the show today. Mike Leader, Hong Kong-based casting director, producer and actor. Uh, and we also welcome uh, Sally Anderson, who's the founder of Hong Kong Dog Rescue, which was very close Gregory's heart, and he supported it for many years. Uh, be back at Back Chat tomorrow, 9 a.m. I'll be on with Jim Gould. And thank you very much, Cara Hoff thank for joining you. me today. Absolutely. Uh, we had our producer, Raphael Blett, and audio engineer, James Lung, who made it all sound great. Thanks for joining us on Back Chat.